Welcome to Illuminating the Scriptures, a study of Nevi'im. In this series, we explore the words of the prophets and delve into the meaning and significance of these sacred texts. Chapter 8, verses 9 through 20. This prophecy is a continuation of what the prophet had been talking about before. There is this sentiment in, uh, it, again, Isaiah is addressing the people of his time under the reign of Ahaz. In verse 6, we, we spoke about the sentiment that the people had despised the Davidic kingdom. The Davidic kingdom represents submission to God, and they looked up to and they saw as, as something that is uh, worth getting exciting about, uh, excited about and being associated with is the kingdom of Ritzin and ben Ramaliohu, which were the king of Aram, present-day Syria, and the king of the northern tribes who represented brute, brute force. And the prophet had told, him, had told them that he's going to bring a real king of brute force, the king of Assyria, who's going to utterly fill the land. And this also is a king that people look up to and say, oh, this is a king. This is what a king is all about. And there's this feeling of, of uh, spurning what the Davidic kingdom represents. And this was possible, we said even Ahaz himself, the Davidic king himself was someone who didn't see his calling as a Davidic king as something to be proud of and something to stand for. He tried to to move in the direction of being a king that takes material wealth and material power seriously. And the prophet is continue, continuing to talk against this sentiment. Verse 9. Gather together nations, and then you will be broken. And all the ends of the earth hear this. Gird yourself and be broken. Gird yourself and be broken. In other words, a prophet is calling to the nations and telling them that you know, they should gather and gird themselves with all their strength, but they're going to be broken. It's not, it's not going to work. Uh, an, another interpretation of the opening phrase in the verse, is it's, it's a double statement. It's, it's repeating itself. Break nations and you will be broken. Verse 10. Take counsel, the sufar. It will be annulled. Your counsel will come to naught. Dabru davar, speak words, it will not stand up. Ki imanu kel, God is with us. Again, this is a play on the words. We had the child who was called Immanuel, Immanuel, which is God is with us. And as long as God is with us, we have nothing to worry about with all the counsel, with all the strength, and all the power, the, the material power, we have nothing to fear as long as we have God with us. Verse 11, This is the prophet talking, and he's saying, this is what the Lord has said to me. For, for thus has the Lord spoken to me. And he spoke this to me with the strength of hand, which is a reference to the power of prophecy. V'yisreini, and he disciplined me, or he rebuked me. He instructed me, from walking in the path of this nation, Lamar saying. In other words, there are a, a, a very large proportion of the people, a very large group of people within Israel, and he's calling that the nation. And they're, they're going in a direction away from what the Davidic kingdom represents, and they're going in a different direction. And... God is telling the prophet, don't you go in that same direction like these people. And 
verse 12 continues, like Simon Kesher, don't say Kesher, rebellion, or conspiracy, to everything that this nation says, Kesher, rebellion, conspiracy. In other words, just because they're excited about some rebellion against the standing establishment, which was the Davidic kingdom, don't join them. Don't, don't go along with that. And that which the nation fears, do not fear, and you should not be, should not see it as something powerful, something that to, to look up to. In other words, the powerful kings, the kings that worked with, were built on the basis of brute force, their, their monarchy, their, their power, their sovereignty was built on the power of brute force, was something the people feared and looked up to. And when the Assyrian king ended up coming, when the Assyrian king ended up coming, there were people amongst the Jewish nation that wanted to join him. They were scared of him, and they would want to uh, stay on his side and rebel against Hezekiah, who was the Davidic king, and represented what the Davidic king is supposed to stand for. Verse 13, The Lord of hosts, He is the one that you should be sanctifying. He's the one that you should be in awe of and reverence of. You should fear him. And that's the power that you should recognize and look up to. Verse 14, he shall be for a sanctuary, or it shall be for a sanctuary, which would mean that God, the Lord, will be for a sanctuary for those who trust in Him. Will ever negev, but for a stone of of hindering, or and a rock of stumbling, to the two houses of Israel, for a snare and a trap for the dwellers in Jerusalem. The idea over here is, is that we, the people are being presented with two options, either to follow Hezekiah, the Davidic kingdom, and what that represents, which represents humility here on earth, no power, no strength in the material sense, but a reliance and a submission to God. That's on the one hand, the people are presented with that option. And on the other hand, they're presented the option of following the kings that have great armies, have a lot of military might, have a lot of strength and a lot of power. And this situation will be a stumbling block for many people. Two house of Israel, one way of understanding this is that for the two northern kings, Pekach and Hosea, which follow the time of this prophecy, and L'pachal HaMoikesh, a snare and a trap for Yeshev Yishalayim, their dwellers in Jerusalem, specifically Shevna and his group, as we shall see, were people who didn't want to accept Hezekiah's fight with the king of Assyria, and rather they wanted to join the king of Assyria and, and Sancheirev, and they wanted to be on the, aligned with the side of power, and they weren't willing to stand on the side of God. Another way of understanding the opening phrase in the verse of Mikdash is it shall be for a designated time or a designated trouble, which, in other words, God is going to bring a trouble on these people who don't fear him and follow the wrong path of following group power rather than being on the side of God. Yet a third way of understanding this is that when it said in the opening phrase of the verse, and he shall be, it's not referring to God, it's referring to the Kesher, the rebellion, will be a situation where for some people they'll 
take sanctuary, they'll take refuge in God and the Davidic kingdom, and the others will go in the other direction. But whichever interpretation we follow, the theme is the same. That this situation, where the people are presented with two options, will be a stumbling block for many, and a place of refuge for some. Hezekiah and his group will take refuge in God, and this will bring them to a better place. The Chashlubam Rabbah, I'm reading verse 15, many will stumble, the Nafu, they'll fall, the Nishbaron, they'll break, the Naikshu, and they'll be trapped, the Nilkadu, and they'll be caught. These are just expressions of saying how these people who do not follow Hezekiah, Chizkiah HaMelech, will be trapped and they'll go, be, end up in a place which is not good for them. They'll, they'll be broken off from the Jewish people. Verse 16, Tzor Tuda, wrap up the testimony, wind up the testimony, Chasayim Torah, seal the teaching, Bilimudai, amongst those who I have taught. In other words, the Prophet is encouraging those who are listening to him, or the Prophet is being encouraged by God, to take the testimony, wrap it up, seal it, the teaching amongst his students. In other words, this is not going to be, it means even though he's predicting it from before, but there's going to be a situation when the 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 ability or the the push to make the wrong choice is going to be so strong that even the knowledge that this is the wrong choice may not help. It has to be very clear and sealed up and kept pure amongst his students. Chikisi Lashem, verse seventeen. I hope or wait to the Lord. Hamaster Panav that hides his face me base Yaakov from the house of Jacob and I hope to him. In other words, the prophet is saying that we're going to go through a period where God hides his face. In other words, where there's a situation where it seems like that following God is not the right option, is not the healthy option. And I'm going to wait through that period, and I'm going to hope to God through that period. Hinea Naichi, verse 18, Behold myself, Vayiladam, and the children, Asher Nasanli Hashem, that the Lord has given me, to signs and to wonders be Yisrael in Israel, from God, the Lord of hosts, that dwells in the mountain of Zion. In other words, the prophet is saying that his example of following God and submitting himself to God and his children, which are the ones that were given the names, Meher Shalal Chashbaz, Immanuel, these, are people, these represent the, God's prediction of what's going to happen, that there's going to be a plundering, yet God is with us, is the sign and the marker and the, the banner that the people are encouraged to follow from God. And the idea over here is, is that people who are into material wealth and look at kings that have a lot of power, what they fail to appreciate is that the most powerful thing in the world is the human being. Not, not in the sense of power, it's the humanity of the human being, not the part of the human being that the human being shares with animals, but rather the humanity of the human being, which is the part of the human being that is is godly and could be godly. And this is what people should be looking up to. Earlier in chapter 7, when the prophet offered the Judean king, Ahaz, ask for a sign, very, you know, very deep or very high, go to the extremes, and the king didn't refuse to ask for a sign, and the sign that was given to him was a child with the name Immanuel. The point is, is that in the world of a, a person who lives just material, and he measures everything by material strength, then you know there are different extremes. But if a person realizes that godliness 
is you know is is the right thing and that's the true power then the extreme is the human being who's capable of godliness verses 19 verse 19 continues this theme it describes a situation where people deify or look up to the dead if they will say to you dirshu seek now, Oivais and Yedainim were uh, fortune tellers and sorcerers, but they specifically were, would like get information from the realm of the dead. Who speak in whispers and riddles, or in moans and uh, low cries. And this is what they will say. Isn't it so that a nation seeks to its gods on behalf of the living, El Amazon to the dead. The prophet is making fun of, of the whole concept of idolatry and sorcery. The whole idea of idolatry, one of the, the evils of idolatry is it diminishes the human being, it takes the human being and makes him less than an inanimate object. Or the idea of sorcery where people look into the realm of the dead to find information as if the realm of the dead is a, is a place of higher knowledge and better uh, you know, better guidance than the realm of the living. And they say, shouldn't we go to the dead on behalf of the living? And Lusayra Vilasuda, verse 20, for teaching and for testimony, which which could be understood to mean is that this foolishness reinforces the teaching and the testimony that we have, which has that the godliness that's inherent in human beings, that should be our guide. And that's where God planted truth in. Will they not say this thing to you? That has no dawn to it. In other words, the people are being pointed to, look how foolish those who stand against God. What is their argument? What is their, their philosophy? Their philosophy is going to the dead on behalf of the living. This should point you to God's teaching and to God's testimony.